Today's reading is from Isaiah 41, 17 through 20. The poor and needy search for water, but there is none. Their tongues are parched with thirst. But I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will make rivers flow on barren heights and springs within the valleys. I will turn the desert into pools of water and the parched ground into springs. I will put the desert, the cedar, and the acacia, the myrtle, and the olive. I will set junipers in the wasteland, the fir and the cypress together, so that people may see and know, may consider and understand that the hand of the Lord has done this, that the Holy One of Israel has created it. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Happy Thanksgiving. Thank you. It's like in that weird, you don't know what to say, right? Happy Thanksgiving, Merry Christmas. Uh, it's great to, my wife painting her, we're serving together, honey. Isn't that awesome? She, <laughs> she, really, uh, she really likes it if anytime you want to get up and you just stand behind her and peer over her shoulder, she paints. She, she, she welcomes that. I'm just, just kidding. Don't do that. That'll creep her out. Uh, God is going to use trees to save the world. Uh, it's not probably what you think. I, I love trees. I think uh, second to humans, they're God's most amazing creation. And if you compare it to some humans, it's close. You know, just kidding. That's not, that's not, it's not nice. That's not nice. Got to put on my Christmas spirit. My uh, Corey and I's friends, the Coons, uh, Tim and Bettany. Tim's a musician. Bettany's this remarkable artist. She's always creating arts and she's doing a whole thing on trees. So I got her permission to get some high-res shots of trees. I'm gonna give you some amazing tree statistics. And as I read them, uh, her prints are gonna come up. She did not ask me to do this, but if you're looking for Christmas gifts, very costly, uh, they're, they're not expensive at all. Go to bettanycoons.com, they have calendars. It's just, they're really remarkable. So they're followers of Jesus and I love supporting artists who are about the kingdom. All right, there are three trillion trees on earth. Uh, there's 60,000 known species of trees. The General Sherman, a giant sequoia, is the largest in the world, 275 feet, 52,000 cubic feet of wood. Trees are the longest living organisms on Earth, and they never die of old age. Uh, some of California's sequoia trees, if you've been there, they're 4,000 to 5,000 years old. The oldest tree that we know of in the world is called Methuselah. It's a bristlecone uh, pine. It's estimated to be 4,852 years old. Trees are thirsty. They drink a lot of water. Uh, a, a large oak tree can consume 100 gallons of water per day. A giant sequoia can drink up to 500 gallons daily. Uh, some of the roots are on top of the soil. Most go down just 18 inches, but some drive hundreds of feet into the ground. Trees can talk. Did you know that? Uh, they, they, in the forest, they talk, they share nutrients, they have this underground kind of internet built by soil fungi, scientists figure out. So they warn each other of danger, they fight off disease together, they're always communicating. Trees are good for humans, I hope I don't need to tell you that. The Amazon rainforest produces more than 20% of the world's oxygen. Uh, trees also clean our drinking water. It provides quality drinking water for 180 million Americans. Uh, research is coming out every day, more and more, I love these articles, that it's, trees are good for our mental and social well-being. One study found the denser the forest, the lower the stress. 
and that walking down a tree-lined street could prove beneficial to your mental well-being. There's even a term now, it's called forest bathing. And so when I'm out with our girls walking, I'll be like, we're forest bathing. And my girls, their teenagers are like, dad, don't say that. That's embarrassing. Can't, can't say forest bathing. Trees are good for our climate. Uh, they improve air quality. A mature tree can absorb more than 48 pounds of carbon dioxide a year. Trees help reduce crime. Studies have shown uh, places that have more trees lead to less graffiti, vandalism, littering, domestic violence, and general aggression. Uh, God uses trees to save the world, but it's not quite what you think. We'll get there. We're uh, launching into Advent. We spent a lot of time last week prepping you for this so it wouldn't feel so abrupt when you came here and saw uh, Christmas trees everywhere and decorations and singing joy to the world. Again, we are part of a church calendar. So the church calendar starts in Advent. We're starting a new calendar. And uh, Advent, the word means arrival. So at Advent season... We're looking back, remembering the arrival of our king, but we're also looking forward in hope, and that's our word for today, uh, and anticipating the return of our king. Advent goes from the fourth Sunday before Christmas up to Christmas Eve. That's when we'll light the white candle, the Jesus candle, and I hope that you'll do this at your homes. We're giving you free candles and instructions if you want to do that. And then Christmas in the church calendar starts on, it's tricky, Christmas Day. You guys got it. You're a sharp group. Christmas Day. And is Christmas, here's a quiz from last week, is Christmas one day? No, Christmas is how many days? You sing it. Twelve. So do not take down your Christmas decorations, followers of Jesus, until January 5th. I am watching you, all of you type A people that want to get on to the next thing. All right, it's a chance to like we start it and we celebrate and when so when we're we're, we're entering in this church calendar, so it's a different kind of time. It's a different kind of rhythm. It's not the calendar that we're so driven by. It's the church calendar, and it's a story. Every year we're retelling the story, and as followers of Jesus, we're entering into it and we're reliving it and reimagining. Mike uh, put this series together, grateful to him, and as we were going over this message, which the goal is to kind of tell the story. This series is called The Advent Story. So my goal today is kind of tell the story of Scripture and find our place in it. Where do we situate ourselves in the story? Mike randomly, I don't know why, I need to ask him, I don't know why he said this, but he's like, you should, you should think about trees of life. And I'm like, Trees of life, yeah. And it just got me going. So I don't know, you tell me at the end if it was a mistake for him to say that or not, because I'm just all excited about trees today. So we're going to tell the story of Scripture through the metaphor of trees. And I think as, as readers of Scripture, you're going to start to see trees everywhere in Scripture. Most of the stuff that I've learned about this is from Dr. Tim Mackey. He's a Hebrew scholar. He's a friend of mine in the Bible Project. If you don't know their work, check it out. Tim and I have backpacked a lot together around the country, and we've had many theological conversations walking through forest and trees. Maybe that was inspired him, I don't know. But uh, they have a, a Tree of Life video. Kids, it's great stuff to watch with your family. But then him and John also have a podcast, and it's a 10-part series on trees. So if you're excited about this topic and you want to go deeper, uh, go to their website, or they have an awesome app as well. All right, so God is going to use trees to save the world. Let's get into it. Uh, I'm going to come at you fast and furious, so buckle up. We're going to kind of start at the beginning of the story, go all the way to the end using trees as our guiding metaphor. You guys ready? You don't look ready. You got to be, yeah. We're going to start in a, where does the story start? It starts in a garden. Garden. 
right? So in a garden, obviously, there's, there's trees. And we're told in this garden, which uh, from, from an ancient Near East perspective is meant to be God's temple on earth. The garden was God's temple. So here's God. And in the high place or in the center, the most important part of the garden, we find two trees. That's going to be the answer when I pause. Trees. You can always get it right today. Two trees. And there's the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And so God says, uh, partake of the tree of life. He's created Adam and Eve out of dust, but they're frail and they need to be sustained by God's life to continue to live. So he's like, eat, eat, and you'll live forever with me. And all was right. It's shalom. And then he says, but here, to get to that tree, they had to walk past this enticing tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And that's God's terrain. Only God dictates what's good and evil. God is the source of all wisdom. So God says, don't mess with that tree. You're not meant to be God. You're not meant to play God. I got that. You eat of the tree of life and just be. But what do you think they did? They didn't listen. They wanted to play God, like many of us. So they went and they ate of the knowledge of tree of good and evil and uh, sin into the world. That, that word means separateness or brokenness. And at that point, because they tried to play God, it broke their relationship with God and with one another and with creation. Everything was broken. So God had to turn them out from the garden because he didn't want them in their broken state trying to eat from the tree of life and existing forever in their broken state. It was an act of mercy. But here in the garden, the beginning of the story, we get this promise. Uh, the, the early writer, the church fathers called this the first good news. And God comes in and he kills an animal and he clothes them. And then he has this kind of cryptic promise. But what he's promising is a seed, tree language. A new seed is going to come. This promised seed and the seed will be a snake crusher. The seed will crush the snake. Watch for it. And that's how the story starts. So we begin, as we enter into the Hebrew scriptures, we begin to look for this promise seed. Then we have the story of Cain, and we see what taking life into our own hands does, what trying to play God does. He kills his brother out of envy. And then off we go, and we see the mayhem of the Hebrew scriptures. And we still see the mayhem today. And, but we're watching as we navigate the story for this promise scene. So then we get to a couple examples of trees in the Old Testament, if you will. We have Noah. And Noah comes and we know that the world is chaos and mayhem and sin is just taken over and everyone's far from God except for this righteous man. And God tells him to build a boat made of trees. This is our first tree. This is our first instance of the tree saving the world. So this tree houses Noah and his family who are the remaining righteous, the hope of humanity, and they get the animals in there and they survive. And then when they emerge from the flood, they land on, like in the garden, a high place. This is going to be a thing again and again. Humans coming to this high place and encountering trees, and they have to decide whether they're going to look to God for life or they're going to play God. That's the essential question. So Noah, on this high place, with the ark of the tree right there resting, he makes a sacrifice to God, and he commits his way. He chooses wisely. Then we have Father Abraham, and Abraham's promise to have a family that will make a nation from which this promised seed will come. So he's playing an important role. But then they have to wait forever for Isaac to come. And then as Isaac's a grown man, God tells him, to go up to a high place and sacrifice his son, both Abraham and Isaac, Isaac's a grown man, choose to trust God. 
Like, if this is going to happen, this is a weird thing, but we trust God because God will raise me from the dead. I'm the promised one. That's okay. We'll just do whatever God wants. And before they go up to the mountain, what do they take with them? Trees. They chop down a tree and take it up the mountain. And then literally Isaac's laid on the altar and it says Abraham puts the tree on top of him. And of course, out from the bushes come the lamb, which is another key theme or metaphor of scripture. Again, God using trees to save the world. Then we come to Moses and Moses is in Egypt and he kills somebody. He runs. He's 40 years in the desert and God's people are enslaved and they cry out, set me free. And God appears to Moses in a burning tree. He builds a burning tree. So he comes and he says, and then later on the same mountain that we'll return to, he tells Moses and God's people, choose today whom you will serve. It's the same choice of the garden. Choose today. You're going to take life in your own hands. You're going to look to me. And sadly, we see again and again and again in the Hebrew scriptures, God's people choosing their own way. And it led to mayhem and havoc and sin and, and death. And then we come to, to David, King David. And King David, as he becomes king after all that long wait, he had to wait about 15 years. The first thing he did is he takes this city on a high hill. And it, he names it Jerusalem. And then we're told immediately, 2 Samuel 5, I'm not making this stuff up, he gets a gift from another king, the king of Tyre, and guess what the gift is? It's trees. He literally gets a bunch of trees. And he builds himself a house, and he brings God's presence in the Ark of the Covenant. David's operating kind of as a high priest here, and then look what he says. The Lord also declares to you that the, that the Lord will make a house for you, He's talking about David. And your days are complete. You will lie down with your fathers and I will raise up. Here it is. Your seed after you who will come forth from you. And I will establish his kingdom and he will build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And then David's son Solomon builds God a, a more permanent house, a, a temple. And it's designed as a garden. And in the Holy of Holies is a lampstand. We have a picture of it. This is from the Jewish Archaeological Museum of, of, uh, of the lampstand. And it looks like a? Not making it up. Then we have Isaiah. And in Advent, we rest a lot in these prophets. Uh, we read a lot of prophets. We'll read a lot of Isaiah this morning. Because uh, they're talking about this waiting game. They're talking about the one who will come. Isaiah talked about it more than anyone. A lot of people call Isaiah the fifth gospel because he talks so much about the promised seed. And so uh, here's some highlights from Isaiah. Watch for it. Watch for this, these promises. Then I said, for how long, Lord? And he answered, until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields are ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth of the land remains, it will be laid waste. But as the Tybrinth and the oak leave stumps, when they are cut down so... The holy seed will be the stump in the land. Another one, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom, of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples and the nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, 
Like one from one whom people hide their faces, he was despised and held in low esteem. Isaiah is pointing us forward. He's pulling this, this promise of the promised seed all the way up to his present time, 700 years before the time of Jesus. Pointing forward and promising, don't give up. Don't give up. Have hope. I know it's dark. I know the land's barren. God has promised and God will do. The promised seed is coming. And then we get to the one as followers of Jesus, if you consider yourself that, that we believe is the promised seed. Uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus talked with tons of garden imagery and agricultural imagery and tree imagery. Check out Matthew 13 sometime this week, if you will. Uh, he has three parables, and he has the parable of the soils and the parable of the, the weeds. And then he has the parable of, uh, with the mustard seed, where the mustard seed grows into a tree. And then you have the weird story in Mark 11. It's weird, but not to first century Hebrew people. In Mark 11, he's cursing the fig tree. Remember that weird story? He's just walking with his disciples. He's like, cursed you, fig tree, but you never bear more fruit. You're like, whoa, Jesus, chill out, bro. Yeah. There's huge imagery there. Because throughout the prophets, Israel, God's people is referred to as a fig tree. And they have not looked to God for life. They've gone their own way again and again and again. And one of the things they did in the Old Testament again and again and again, they would go up to high places and worship foolish foreign gods with idols on high poles made of trees, counterfeit gods. So they didn't carry the hope forward. And Jesus had to finally come as the one who would choose right. Who would make the right decision? He embodies all humanity. He's like, I got to redo everything. I got to reverse engineer everything. So God put on flesh and he came. And then there, Jesus revealed something in the scriptures that were there for everyone to see, but hardly anyone saw them. And Jesus said it like this. Jesus said, very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of the wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. This is exactly what the prophet Isaiah said. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we were healed. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And, through, and though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. And after he was suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Jesus was referred to by the gospel writers as the holy seed in the womb of Mary. Jesus himself said, I am the vine. He's stepping into this. Jesus knew the scriptures like the back of his hand. He understood the promise, and he embodied it. And he said, and then he revealed the thing that was right there, but nobody wanted to admit it. This promised seed must first die to bear fruit, because Jesus had to bear the cost and the weight of our disastrous decision to look to ourselves instead of God for life. He had to forever break it. So Jesus, he kind of relives the garden scene. He's in a garden. He's confronted with this choice. He knows what's at stake. He's in turmoil and chaos, and he's crying out to God, is there any other way? And then what does he pray at the end? The very opposite of what Adam and he prayed, and pretty much all of us, my, not my will, but thy will be done. And then Jesus went and he hung on a tree. tree. 
And as Paul said, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. And then Jesus, as he's, as he's talking earlier prior to this, to the man named Nicodemus, who was, who was a uh, kind of a, a spiritual bigwig, if you will, in the Jewish community, he said, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man, Jesus speaking himself, must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. He's referencing a story in the Old Testament where all these snakes were coming and God's people were being killed. And Moses like, mercy, God. And he said, Moses, go get basically a tree and hold it up to have a snake on top of it. And anybody that looks up to it will be saved. Jesus is like, I'm the one that's finally come. I am the promised seed. I am the snake crusher. Jesus, he literally had to pass through death to crush it and to offer life. Jesus went through death to overcome the snake, to open back up the tree of life for everyone. Think of it like this. The tree of death enables us to partake of the tree of life. I told you, God uses trees to save the world. And then where does our story end? Where do we look to? Remember, Advent's both. We look back to the first arrival of the promising, our King, our Savior, and we look with great hope and expectation, some of us with great angst of the soul today because of the darkness that's in our world and in our lives. And we look for hope to the one who says he will return and make all things right. And so we have, this, we have John, John the, the revelator, and uh, he gives, has this revelation of what's coming. He kind of sees the future and even sees the present and where God's reigning. One of the opening uh, verses of Revelation is Revelation 2.7. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the church. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This paradise is from a Persian word. It means garden. Because of Jesus, I will give anyone and everyone the right to eat from the tree of life that I closed off because of your brokenness and sin. He goes on, and I love when I'm in a dark state of my soul, when I'm really depressed and down, sometimes I'll just turn to the end of the story. And remind myself what's coming. And then it's not ironic that our story, as best we know it, ends this way. Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming down from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle of its street. On either side of the river was the tree of life. You can't make this stuff up. Bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. I'm the Alpha and the Omega the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by gates into the city. God uses trees to save the world. So what? <laughs> nice talk, John. <laughs> what does it matter for us today? We're a discipleship community. We come here and gather so we go out and we're formed in the way of Jesus. So we're more like Jesus what does it mean for our life this Advent as we launch into the season with the goal, remember last week, not emerging January 2nd, less human, <laughs> tired, stressed, distracted, distant from God and others. We don't have to do that. So what does this message mean for us? Remember, you guys ever watched the way back in the day, the Robin Williams movie, Jumanji? Remember that movie? And I think there's some updated ones with, 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 with Chris Rock and and uh, Kevin Hart. But anyway, that it's, without going into it, I mean, they're, they're fun movies, but essentially it's a board game that you get sucked into the game. You like enter another story, or at times that story enters your world and you're immersed in this. And we love it because we're story people. We talked about this theme a couple weeks ago and I want to revisit it. Uh, Ivan Illich, an Austrian philosopher, he was asked how to change society. This is what he says. 
Neither revolution nor reformation can ultimately change a society. Rather, you must tell a new powerful tale, one so persuasive that it sweeps away the old myth and becomes the preferred story, one so inclusive that it gathers all the bits of our past and our present into a coherent whole, one that even shines some light into our future so we can take the next step. If you want to change a society, then you have to tell an alternative story. And I'm here to put forth to you this morning, followers of Jesus, that we were called, we are called right now to live into an alternative story. And with no judgment, I say it's a better story than you're probably living and that I'm probably living. We're called by the grace of God and through the power of the Spirit to live into a new story. And Advent is a great time as we start reliving it in the church calendar. Like, that's it, I'm so done living this counterfeit tale. Living this story that just does not satisfy the deepest longings of my heart. And I want to live the true story. Uh, we, we were made to live a story, and yet we have to, every day as we look out in our life, say, what story are we living? Um, I just want to briefly, I could do an entire series on both these topics, but briefly as I thought about it, like, what, like in my own life and in the life of the church that I I'm, I'm, have the privilege of, of being part of leading, like what, what are the stories, that, what are the counterfeit tales? What are kind of the, if I had to rank them, what are the top ones right now? And one of the top ones I would say is this like counterfeit political tale. Yes, I said it. Let's talk about it for a second. Right? Because we've kind of jettisoned God, and even people who follow Jesus kind of live as atheists a lot of times. We're not made to live like that. We're made to live a story. We're made to live lives that count. And so we've kind of co-opted this political thing, and it doesn't work. I'm just telling you, Pastor, you can disagree with me, write me angry emails, yell at me, whatever. I'm just telling you it doesn't work. Like, the political realm is driven by top-down power. It's driven by control and money and even violence. That is the antithesis of the way of Jesus. If you're going to follow the kingdom story, that's, that's top up, right? That's bottom up. You're coming from the bottom and you're living up, not top down. You're envisioning a, a, literally a cruciform life. We're called to take up our cross and die. We're called to enemy love. Those things don't work in our political system. Now, am I, am I telling you not to be involved at all politically? No, that's between you and God, how you want to be involved. What I'm saying is your pastor, think of it as a Venn diagram, the two crossing circles. There's a very narrow crossover that you can be faithfully involved as a follower of Jesus. Do that. Be the, but it's very narrow. Don't sell your soul to that. There's a bigger game in town. There's a much more exciting game in town. Like that realm is never going to change the world. Can you do good there? For sure. Right? And you be faithful however you're led to be faithful. Don't live that story. Don't sell your soul to that. There's so much of a better story. That's a zero-sum game, like winner takes all. That is not the way of Jesus. And we're called to live out our kingdom faithfully and, and cast vision for something that people can't even begin to fathom until they get into it and live it and experience it. Is everybody mad at me? How am I doing? I don't know. Just alienated everybody. The second story that we, we, we risk is the escapist story. As I'm calling, we got this escapist stuff is going on everywhere. Uh, people into cosplay, if you do that, that's where you dress up as characters. And it's fine, it's kind of innocent stuff, right? It's, we went uh, with our, our good friends, the Grecos. We, 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 we do a monthly kind of hangout with them, and, and they were like, What do you want to do? I was like, Well, let's just do something exciting. They're like, All right, we got you. So they take us, they didn't tell us where they take us. We went to some kind of pub bar in, in North Portland. 
And this was like a pub bar, like it was like you're walking into like, you know, fifth century Scotland, Ireland. It was like the music that was playing, there was large fires. It was like Lord of the Rings. There's large broadswords hanging on the walls and like Scottish music and like kilts. And I was like, whoa, this is exciting. They, they served mead, if you know what mead is. I mean, these people were really serious. They had tables reserved for Dungeons and Dragon tournaments like there. I mean, I was like, whoa, this is awesome. You know, so you're just like, you're kind of living in this alternative world. And we thought it was fun, but I'm telling you, there was people in there like taking it way too seriously, way too seriously. I went to the bathroom and there was an advertisement for you could get trained in medieval combat and how to use a Scottish broadsword. It's exactly what the world needs, more people good with the Scottish broadsword. You know? <laughs> so, but there's something in us that so wants to live a story. And if, it's, and if we're not selling ourselves to the political, it's something else. And I think a lot of people are just trying to escape. And they're just trying to go in this, you know, the metaverse and, and all this kind of stuff that's coming with virtual reality. It's not all bad. None of this stuff's all bad. I'm not saying that. But if that's our primary story, and then we can get really insidious in, in pornography and, and all this kind of stuff. We just disappear. Our addictions, that's an escapist story. We know so deep down we're meant to be living the story, and we sell our soul. There's one who offers us, only one, the true story. Matthew says, this is Eugene Peterson's message, all Jesus did that day was tell stories. A long storytelling afternoon, his storytelling fulfilled the prophecy, I will open my mouth and tell stories. I will bring out in the open things hidden since the world's first day. The late Steve Jobs said, the most powerful person in the world is the storyteller because storytellers set the course for what is to come. One of our favorite, and I mention this all the time, I, do, I love the Chronicles of Narnia. And, and that's what Lewis is doing. He, he believed that the truth of the kingdom of God was so fantastical, he had to write this other world to get us to get it. And if you know that story at all, I'm sure most of us are somewhat familiar with it. The kids enter this world through a wardrobe. And they enter in and there's good and there's evil and there's Aslan who's the personification of Jesus and they follow him and they're redeemed by him at the stone table and they become kings and queens in that world. And then they get thrown back into their normal humdrum world until they enter it again and again and their lives come on. We're meant to. Advent is a season, if you will, that we enter through the wardrobe, into the real story, that Jesus is the door to that new story. So what story are you living? Advent's a great time of the year to say, am I living a counterfeit story? Am I really happy? Or am I called to something greater? You are. You are. Secondly, in Jesus, this is so cool, coming back to trees, we become trees of life as we look to him for life. Listen to, uh, to Peter. Peter says, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed. When we look to Jesus for life, when we say, I don't want to play God anymore, I can't, I don't have the ability, I'm just making mayhem of my life and everyone else's, I look to the one who came and finally made the right decision, the one who offers the door of life, the one who paid the price to break the power of sin and death, I look to him and cling to him for true life, then we become trees of life. I mean, Jesus said, I'm the vine and you are the branches. We're called as we live in the spirit to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Back to Isaiah. This was the passage that Raylene read at the top. The poor and the needy search for water, but there's none. Their tongues are parched with thirst, but I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. Listen to this. Hope people, hope followers of Jesus. I will make the rivers flow on barren heights 
and springs within the valley. I'll turn the desert into pools of water and the parched ground into springs. I will put the desert in the desert, the cedar and the acacia, the myrtle and the olive. Listen to these trees. I will set the junipers in the wasteland, the fir and the cypress together so that people may see and know and may consider and understand that the hand of the Lord has done this, that the Holy One of Israel has created it. God uses trees to save the world. I saw this uh, story the other day. I was prepping this message, and literally this came up in my news feed as I took a break. Uh, in the uh, Atacama Desert, I think that's how you pronounce it, in Chile, uh, is the sunniest and driest place on earth. Uh, they get 0.2 inches of rain a year, and yet over the last couple of months, they've had this really atypical rainfall. And what they found is there were seeds of life that have been dormant down in the soil literally for a decade. Isn't that beautiful? I think there's another, is there another picture there? Look at that. Like I know, I know we look out at Portland, we look out at our world, we look at our own broken hearts, we look at our own families, and we feel like it's the Atacama Desert. Kingdom seeds are there. Kingdoms, as we look to Jesus for life, we become trees of life. We become, we become I would say, guerrilla gardeners. It's interesting uh, when, when, uh, when Jeremiah wrote the letter to the exiles, they're taken 700 miles away by Babylon. Imagine that, just ripped away. They become enslaved. He sends them a letter and says, you're going to be there for 70 years. And I know that's disappointing news. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to, to get married and have children. And then what does he tell them? I want you to plant gardens. I want you to plant gardens. It's like, this is everywhere. And I think there's this, I came across the story of a guy named Ronald Finley. He's, he's called the Gorilla Gardener. You could Google it. He did a TED Talk, a bunch of people watch. And he was a fashion designer in South Central LA. And he recognized there was lots of little plots of land that were overcome with weeds and trash and drug needles. And yet there was no fresh food. So he goes, I'm going to take those. I'm going to start to plant gardens. And he did. And he began to plant gardens all over South LA. And now this, this movement has spread throughout the world. It's called guerrilla gardening. And guerrillas are like a, when a small little like feisty group of people come up against a dominant power and they wage warfare. And we are in warfare against the evil one in a way that's ingenious and creative and life-giving to people to set people free. I think we're called to be guerrilla gardeners. In your life, uh, in, your, in your family, in your neighborhood, in your school, in your workplace, Where's there a plot of land that's untended? Maybe a relationship, maybe a person, maybe something physical and tangible. What might it be like by the grace of God as the one who has the promised seed within you that's springing new life, that you prep the ground, that you plant seeds, that maybe you're harvesting the fruit from someone else, maybe you're weeding. I don't know what you're called to do. What does that look like in your life this week as we go into Advent season? They're everywhere. Just, you don't have to look far. You don't have to go find something to do with your life. Just look at your life. Like, what is in front of you today? Where is an untended plot of ground that by the grace of God and for the glory of God you can tend? Uh, our friends, the Grecos, I mentioned last year, we, uh, we went to Nashville with them. And uh, there's an artist named Andrew Peterson. And uh, he's one of my favorite. And about 21 years ago, he wrote a Christmas album called Behold the Lamb. My favorite Christmas album by far. And this is a lot. I, I love Christmas music. And he, every year, for about 20 years, he's done the concert, a Christmas concert around this with all of his friends in Nashville, and he has a lot of them. So they're top-notch musicians at the Ryman Theater, which is this historic theater. And they do a tour, and you can watch this live stream if you're really interested in this, and it just sells out. So they do two nights of the Ryman to launch the tour, and it's always been on my bucket list. So when Emily and David, they're like, hey, you want to go to Nashville and go to the Ryman? See Behold the Lamb? I'm like, yes, we're in. And it was great to spend time with our friends and do that. But like, I was just teary for most of the show. 
And so it's got this, it'd be probably 20 incredible musicians, and they play the album from beginning to end. And the story, he, he wrote the album to tell the story, to situate ourselves, where are we in Advent season? And he has this, one of my favorite songs called Gather Round You Children Come. And, and the, the chorus goes like this. Gather round you children come, listen to the old, old story of the power of death undone by an infant born of glory, son of God, son of man. Gather round, remember now how creation held its breath, how it let out a sigh and it filled up the sky with the angels, son of God and son of man. So sing out with joy for the brave little boy who is God and made himself nothing. He gave up his pride and he came here to die like a man. I love this, this picture. It's not a good high res. It's the best I could find online, but they're singing this song last year, and this picture uh, came up, and it was like emotional. And I don't know if you've ever, I, I think I put myself in like, like Jesus at age five or six. Right? Have you ever asked yourself the question, when did Jesus realize he was the promised seed? He didn't come out of the womb and be like, I'm the promised seed. It's not how it worked. When did he realize when he was studying the scriptures? When did it come together? And when did he make the choice that no one else could make? To go to the cross for you, to go to the cross for me, to lay down his life willingly, to become the door of life to the story we're meant to live. The tree of death, it enables us to partake freely from the tree of life. If you've never done that this morning, you can do that right now. All you got to do is like look to Jesus and say, I'm done with my counterfeit tale. Maybe something's happening in your heart right now and you're feeling the Spirit of God move within you. This Advent season, just look to him and just like, I'm in. I want that story. I look to you for life. No longer to myself. I look to you, Jesus. I told you, God uses trees to save the world. God, we just pray that your Spirit would run wild in this room right now. Uh, my words can really, let's be honest, accomplish very little uh, if they're not accompanied by your spirit. And we just pray uh, that something from today, something from one of the prophets, something that was read, would just entrench itself in our hearts and our minds. That you would set up home there, that you would make us restless if we need to feel restless. That you would haunt us in a good way if we need to be haunted by you. That you would turn us, Jesus, from living counterfeit tales. I don't want to get to the end of my life. None of us do and look back and see a life that we wasted on a story that we were never meant to live. We're meant to live a better story. And Jesus, you offer us that story. Thank you as we come to the table. We recognize what you did as the promised seed by coming here. Not many people saw it. You do it. You knew the seed had to go in the ground and die to bear life. And we're the life. All these years later, we're the life. And we celebrate that and we look back and we celebrate. We also at the table today... We look forward. Uh, not, all is not made right. We know that. And we are called to be people of hope. And we, we man the watchtowers. We look out. And we embody that hope this Advent season as we wait for our King to come again. Thank you for how much you love us every single day. We pray this in the matchless name of Jesus and all God's people said. Amen. So uh, if you're new to New Hope or visiting, uh, we do a thing here where we come forward to the table where there's a table in the balcony as well. And uh, you'll have servers to servers. You can come on uh, forward or, or to the table up in the balcony. And uh, they'll just tell you to come on up. And uh, they'll get, you know, eight to ten of you maybe together. 
And then we do have uh, the gluten-free options and the non-gluten-free little cuppy things if you're, if you're trying to be really careful or you're sick. Um, but if, if you're good with taking a piece of bread, when it comes around, just dip it in there and take it. And uh, don't drip all over yourself and just, and, and it'll be wonderful. And then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll pray for you. And we do this, we, we envision what it's like to come to a table where our king is at the head of the table. That, that imagery is throughout scripture as we live into the reality that one day we'll be at the great table with our king. So when you're ready, uh, come on forward and then uh, as you go back to seats, you'll be able to musically worship as well.